This is David Tarkington, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orange Park, Florida. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For any other information or questions you may have, please go to firstfam.org or give us a call at 904-264-2351. I'm David Tarkington. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are continuing through 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 4 today, looking at verses 11 through 16. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to young Timothy, he says this, command and teach these things, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God for that. You may be seated. This little passage right here has perhaps been the, the most used, if not overused, theme verse for evangelical youth groups in the last 20, 30, or 40 years. There have been so many camps, retreats, curriculums, and of course, because we do it this way, a variety of t-shirts with this verse plastered upon it. For our teenagers, obviously, who are not the church of tomorrow, but the church of now, and it is not a bad verse to use for that, and yet it is a verse that often, as I remember and, and have seen at times, only half the verse has been, in verse 12, only half of that verse has been the theme verse for many of these such events for students. Let no one despise you for your youth. Well, who wouldn't want that? Yes, let's praise God for young people, right? But then there's the rest of the verse that tells us what that means. So as we continue to um, we reconstruct with our church family or within our church family that which pragmatism and church growth mantras have developed over the years, unfortunately have infected many churches over the years, we now recognize that while there is encouragement and instruction for teenagers in this verse, Paul was not writing or intending to write a tagline for modern day youth groups, nor was he focusing on youth ministry in Ephesus. Youth ministry is wonderful and incredible, but it is just a part of the wholeness of the church. And so the focus of the church and the focus of the teaching here is bigger and broader and wider than that. Paul, under the inspiration of the third person of the Trinity, penned these words to his young protege, a pastor of a challenging church in a town known as Ephesus. Ephesus was a town that was known to be... Uh, a pagan city, a, a pagan reality where, yes, there were some Jews that lived there, but there were also many Gentiles and a lot of religious beliefs that came in. And so this young pastor, who was young comparatively by those in the Jewish tradition and even in the pagan tradition of Ephesus, sought to look at their elders as wise as they should. He was so young, he was probably mid-30s, which doesn't seem young in many of, of the churches today seeking new pastors and others, as the old joke goes, most Baptist churches, when they're looking for pastors, seek to find a 30-year-old pastor married with eight kids who has 45 years of experience. That's what they're looking for, right? It's that, it's that perfect pastor that doesn't exist. But when we look at this passage and what we see revealed about the young man, it becomes clear why Paul is instructing Timothy in this way. 
And not only is he instructing Timothy, but the intent is that this letter written to Timothy is read before the congregation, so it's as a third-person listener, they're able to hear what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling the church and how they should relate to their pastor. And you will get even more of that in the next chapters as we go through this in the next upcoming weeks. So here's Timothy, reading a passage that is encouraging and challenging, and reading it aloud so that those in the congregation are hearing that which is being said, recognizing it's not just Tim's idea. There's this question that often is likely, it's not necessarily written in scripture here, but no doubt at some point pops in the mind of young Timothy, what if this congregation discovers I don't know what I'm doing? Maybe that's not Timothy's testimony, maybe that's just an autobiographical statement. But it is also a statement I've heard resonated from many young pastors who have had the hands laid upon them and the degree given to them and the seminary done and the training done and the church is called. And then that moment of reality of what if they figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. And then they look in the mirror and they say, what if I figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. So there's a lot that goes into pastoring a church and it's a, it's a, it's a challenging reality and And so part of this message is really maybe something online or recorded that'll be sent to some of our young pastors in the city and in the state, hopefully as a word of encouragement to them. What does it do for a young pastor who in, let's just talk about the Baptist subculture of American evangelical Christianity. That meaning, let's talk about us. Because we get this. What does it mean for a young pastor who in our Baptist world is sought out by committee members of other churches? It's a weird dynamic, even that's changing nowadays. Sought out by committee members, personnel committee, pastor search committee after sorting through a stack of resumes, resumes for pastors to be hired in churches, resumes that pastors are instructed to put together and they're also instructed to put them together in a format that would be illegal in the business world but expected in the church world, meaning you better have a picture of your face and your spouse and your kids on there. And all this stuff about references uh, if requested, That doesn't work in the church world. You better send the references first, and you better know who they are. It's just kind of the the dynamic we have have created over years. But what happens when that young pastor, after rising to the top of a stack of resumes, is interviewed numerous times, brought before a congregation, and then voted upon, a pastor called by God to shepherd a flock, make hard decisions, preach the word well, hold to doctrinal fidelity, lead the church to discipline those who have failed and are failing— to be impactful in the community and looked well upon by those in the neighboring community and be the spiritual leader, but also feeling that tension that is inevitable of you have just been hired by an organization to be their boss and to be their guide and to tell them what to do. It's a weird dynamic that the employee is the boss. Think about that for a moment. Some churches never get beyond that. Some pastors have a hard time getting through that. It's hard enough now in 2023 Hard to say that, but I did get it right, just so you know, one day in. I get verses wrong all the time, but I know the calendar. Look at that. But as we look at the first century, we discover that the church in Ephesus is obviously not a Baptist church because apparently they didn't vote on Timothy becoming their pastor. He was appointed by the apostle, and he began teaching and preaching and becoming the leader there. Now, perhaps he was voted, but we have no indication of that because democratic church governance was apparently not exactly what was being done at that time. But Paul, under the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit and under God's leadership, appointed him to be the pastor of this church that he had helped start himself. And the church followed Paul's lead and now has this young whippersnapper leading them. This 30-something-year-old guy named Timothy, 
who is young comparative to the leaders in the synagogues and even to the pagan leaders in that city, guiding them. And based on Paul's words that I read just a few moments ago, Timothy was feeling the pressure from the church. He was feeling the pressure from the congregants. There are certainly some who were frustrated that this young whippersnapper dared to stand before them and tell them what to do. There were the heretics in the church, which have already been identified, and those asceticists within the body who had changed doctrine, who were teaching false doctrine, those within the church who had high regard likely from a number of members, but also by Paul's instruction and God's lead, Timothy was told to kick them out. I mean, that's a pretty hard decision to have to do. There were things the pastor had to do that could not be done by committee, could not be done by deacons, it wasn't their role, or it could not be done by any other individual in the body. It was the elder's role, the shepherd's role, the pastor's role, and Timothy had to do it. So as this is the case for just about every pastor, doubts creep in. What if I don't do this right? The questions, the frustrations, the weight of doing church right because God expects that. The challenge of lasting longer, the likely writing and rewriting of resignation letters to, by Timothy. Just think of this. I used to, when I first became lead pastor here back in 05, let that sink in how long that's been. I got a call from Alan Floyd, who was the lead pastor at First Baptist Middleburg, one Monday morning. I didn't know Alan really well, but I knew of him. I knew I'd met him a couple times, and Alan called, and he I got a, the, the secretary answered the phone. Hey, uh, Dr. Alan Floyd, First Baptist Middleburg, is on the phone for you. It's Monday morning. I picked it up and said, yeah, this is David. And he said, don't resign, never resign on a Monday. Then he hung up. So <laughs> I thought there's some wisdom there. <laughs> never resign on a Monday. I've shared that with a number of other pastors and ministry leaders over the years. But is it worth it? That's the question that Timothy has to answer, that the church had to answer. Paul says, yes, it's absolutely worth it to stay in the ministry, to do the work that is set apart for him to do. God said yes, obviously, because he told Paul to write that. And the saying is proven true once more that, and, and know this, this is something you can, you can plaster on a t-shirt or put above your fireplace. God will always give you more than you can handle. Now, I want you to understand I said that intentionally because most people will tell you a bit of false gospel drivel that says, sounds something like this. God will never give you more than you can handle. For those of you that believe that, you've bought a lie. God will always give you more than you can handle for if you can handle it all, you don't need him. So why would he give you a lifetime of ease so that you can handle everything? We've got a whole lot of people trying to handle life. God always gives us more than we can handle so that we are therefore forced to lean on him even more severely. And then he always provides. Just as, he, just as David wrote in the Psalms, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are never walking alone for his rod and his staff comfort us as he is always there. That looks better on a refrigerator magnet anyway. Let that be your theme. If you're looking for a 2023 one, be positively settled on the fact that you can't handle it, that you can't do it, that you do not have what it takes. Despite all the Christianese and psychological Christian phrases that are out there that say, you do have what it takes and you can handle it and just be a better you. You can't, you don't, and you won't. Otherwise, you don't need God and maybe if you could, we should be worshiping you, but that's not who you are. We, I can promise you that. For only God can handle. Only God provides. Only God has what it takes. 
And thus, in the midst of despair, Timothy receives a letter from his mentor Paul. It arrives, he opens the letter, and the fuel of wisdom is offered that is much needed for Timothy at this very specific moment, apparently when it is needed most, for his well-being, for his spiritual health, and don't lose this, Christians, for his mental health, because that's a reality too. his physical health, his mental health, his spiritual strength, all that he is. For if Timothy gets this and trusts God and is healed through this and is encouraged and equipped, it is also good for the church. So God called the man to serve, to lead, to give, and to die to self for the sake of the gospel. And that is the same for every pastor called to serve throughout time. Thus the inerrant word of the Lord speaks. And this is what he says in verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. What are these things? It's all the things we talked about prior. So if you weren't here in previous weeks, go back, re-listen, or just start in 1 Timothy and read the entire book. It's a short book. It's the things primarily referenced in verse 6 of this chapter. It's the things that are in response to false teachings. It's the things that are cemented on the truth of the word. And then, as I stated earlier, again, the first half of the verse, the most popular youth group verse in the history of evangelical Christianity, and that history is only about 40 years old. Let no one despise you for your youth. Young man, Paul says, people may despise you for many reasons. You may give them reasons, but the one thing you have control over is how you behave. You have no control over how old you are. I know that in the world today, you have filters on your phone that can make you look younger. Paula Abdul's apparently 19 now, apparently. I just saw that. And it doesn't really matter what filter on your phone makes you look like. You're still as old as you are because you were born when you were. So you really don't have control over that. But what you do have control over are a lot of other things. Paul says, you know, they may despise you because you're young. You can't do much about that. But let no one despise you for your youth. And this is how. This is some good wisdom. He says, overwhelm others' preconceived sinful ageism through that which you do control. If they're mad at you because you're younger than them, they're probably jealous of your youth. And they're probably jealous of the fact that you show wisdom at such a young age. You can't control that, but you can control how you behave, how you act, how you serve, how you lead. And Paul says to young Timothy, control what you control. This part is on you. And he gives him a five-fold answer that is not reserved just for pastors, so every Christian, listen up. He says the five-fold answer is not based on works theology. In, in, in other words, it's not doing more to get saved because that doesn't work anyway. But it is that which is expected of a child of God. It's not up for a vote, not for a debate, but it is necessary. Set the believers, he said, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Five elements. Is it all inclusive? Likely not. But if you can get these, you're going to do well. Let's look at speech. To the pastor, the word rendered here is not just the, the words that are always coming out of the mouth of Timothy, though that is inclusive there, but he is speaking to the preaching of Timothy. Pastor, and I'm speaking to pastors and those that may be called into that ministry. If you cannot preach, you cannot pastor. For years, we would do trainings with new pastors and church plants, and, and guys would fl- pass with flying colors on all the, the, the marriage events and the finances and the, the, uh, the entrepreneurship, which apparently is a spiritual gift at some level, somewhere, I guess. I don't know. It seems to be in these training sessions. But I remember sitting in a room with some guys, and I, and I asked them, I said, we've, we've pushed these guys through church planting assessment. We have no clue if they can preach the word at all. All we know is they answer questions right, and we would love to have dinner with them. They're great guys. They love Jesus. 
but they may not be able to preach themselves out of a wet paper sack. We need to hear them preach, rightly divide the word of God. Otherwise, they're just going to download someone else's sermon, change the illustrations, and make a living off someone else's work, hopefully, sinfully, in case you didn't know. Speech. If you cannot rightly divide the word of truth, get off the stage. If your sermons are more stories of recent events, a few jokes, and psychology wrapped up in religious verbiage with a Bible verse used to support what you've already stated you believe, stop. To Timothy and the pastors serving today, preach the word. The only inerrant, immutable thing we've got going for us that even if you stutter, Moses, even if you say it incorrectly, David, even if you reference the wrong passage, at least read from the word because the word is all we've got that is life-changing, inerrant, and immutable. Stay there. Let God speak through you in accordance to his word. And don't apologize for hard verses. In our culture today, there's a whole section of verses that, I don't know if you ought to preach that, David, that's going to offend somebody. Well, far be it from me to offend somebody. But I hope you're offended every Sunday. Because when confronted with sin, it should offend to a point of conviction. And I have no power to convict anybody. And I, know, and I would say, don't skip verses. And to Ricky Martin, yes, I'm eventually getting back to the second half of Ezekiel. He keeps telling me I skipped that whole second half. We'll get there. It's a long book. Don't skip hard verses. You'll, you could go to church for, for a year or two or three And hear nothing but, you have what it takes. You're a great person. Just believe in yourself. And here's a verse out of context that looks good for that. And that's just like, you know, it tastes good for a while, but eventually you want to get to the cake rather than just the icing, right? You want to get to some some of the meat, the challenging word. Don't skip challenging passages. Don't hop around the Bible looking for a word of the day. But set an example in the inerrant, immutable, only fully true word available. Paul was very clear about that. God is very clear about this. The sermon on Sunday matters, and I have convicted in the past. I have not seen the importance of it as much as I do now. But Lord's Day, the whole question of should we meet on Christmas? Should we meet on Christmas, on on New Year's Day? We meet on the Lord's Day, and when we meet, we declare the word of God and preach it boldly. That's what we do. And if people choose to not attend, that's on them. But that's why we're here. Maybe we should have a special event where we do something. No, we're going to preach the word of God. we got Jason Lovins, a good friend of ours. Their band's going to come lead us in worship at the end of January. But guess what we're going to do after the 30 minutes of music that Jason's going to lead us through? We're going to preach the word of God. Because Sunday morning's not a concert with an tagged-on TED Talk. So in speech, get it right. Secondly, conduct. Set the believers an example in speech and in conduct. This sounds like a t-shirt slogan, but it's true. Your walk must match your talk, and your talk must be that of God's word. Pastor, of all that matters, your character matters deeply. That's in the qualifiers of of pastoral ministry we already looked at in chapter 3. This statement here harkens back to that and emphasizes that these are not just qualifiers for hiring a pastor, but they're also qualifiers for keeping a pastor. The rise of celebrity pastors in our culture has proven that well-intentioned men may start well, but when the fall comes, and it comes all too often, by the way, it is because somewhere the compartmentalized gospel has replaced the truth, meaning on Sundays they're very gospel-centered, but on Mondays through Saturday they're living for themselves. 
The persona behind the pulpit is not the persona in the living room, and when that is revealed, the pastor needs to leave. The persona who preaches on Sunday morning must match the persona in the household, in the family room, in the bedroom, in the living room, in the home, and online. Oh, so the guy preaching on Sunday needs to shut up with all the negativity online. For those children in the room, shut up is a cuss word, I'm sorry. <clears throat> needs to be severely quiet. There is like, a, like, like this bipolar pastoral world we're living in right now, in the SBC especially. Guys who preach wonderfully on Sunday, but are royal jerks online. I've yet to find anybody who has had their doctrine corrected in love through Twitter. Who has come to know a loving, gracious father through salvation because of a random, negative, blasting post on Facebook. And I've known a lot of people who have lost opportunities due to that which is shared all too often. In conduct. To Timothy, the message was clear. You may be young, but your character will win the day. Or it will lose it. Work at this. Then in love, loving other people is difficult. Didn't know if you realized that. Loving the flock God has assigned you, Timothy, is going to be a challenge. Timothy had a hard church. He had heretics and angry people. He had people that were behind the scenes talking badly about him just because he was not old enough, in their opinion, to have experience to tell them that God, God's truth was true for all people, all ages, all circumstances. He had people that were telling him to quit doing things and to start doing things, and they, everybody in his church knew how Timothy should be a pastor, and everybody knew they could do it better than him, and most of them told him, love the people in the church. Loving those who do not want you to be their pastor? Yes, love those. Love those who look down on you because you're young, Timothy? Yes, love those too. Love those who are working behind the scenes in secret committee meetings to get rid of you? Absolutely, love them. Love those who talk about you behind your back? Absolutely, them too. Love is not passive and we do not naturally drift toward it. It is active. Love is not allowing everybody else to walk over you either, so Paul is not telling Timothy, be a spiritual doormat. That's not what he's saying. Love them actively. But why, why should you do this? Love them so much you're going to kick the heretics out of the fellowship. Why? That doesn't sound very loving. If you love the church of Jesus Christ, you love it enough to protect it. Because you love the Lord, his truth, his plan, his church, and his people so very much you cannot stand to see it marred. That's why you do the hard things, Timothy. With all the issues in denominational politics today, especially with those who have abandoned doctrinal fidelity, biblical truth, and high moral character, it may be that too many pastors love the position, the power, the prestige, and the paycheck, but they didn't love the people, nor did they love the Lord. Then next he says, fourth, faith. Show them, show them through your faith. Do you believe God? Do you still believe? Do you trust God? Do you still trust God? Do you trust God when everything in your plans didn't happen? Do you still trust him? But God has let me down, some say. It may seem so at the time, but it is not so. People likely have let you down. Pastors and other Christians have more likely let you down. Friends and former friends have certainly let you down. You have, everybody in the room has a, an, an encyclopedia of people who have let them down. 
And everybody in the room has let someone else down. That's nature. That's human nature. That's the sin nature. But God hasn't let you down. If you think you have, it may be because the version of Christianity that you have placed upon him and the one that you have been brought up in is not exactly biblical Christianity because it's, it's more, you ever, you ever see these guys selling the Louis Vuitton handbags out of the back of the cars on the, on the street corners? Now, if you're selling those, I'm talking about you. <laughs> They're not real. Oh, it's a real purse. It's a real handbag. And what a deal it is. But it's not real. It's a, it's a fake. It's a counterfeit. It's a cheap imitation. And some people's Christianity is just like that. It's the Louis Vuitton bag out of the back of the car on the side of the road, and it's not authentic. It looks good, but isn't real. R. Kent Hughes says it this way so well. He says, he's a pastor, theologian. Here's what he says. What we believe about God determines how we live. Simple statement. So in your resolution moment, how are you going to live this year? Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's going to reveal what you believe about God. How you lived last year actually revealed what you believe about God. It always does. So how does your faith in God reveal itself and how you live? To Timothy, the message is clear. Your faith guides your walk. And lastly, the fifth element and purity. Now, here's the reality, purity. Paul is not giving Timothy a true love waits ring and saying, save yourself for marriage, though that's, that's a good thing. But it's, it's, it's not marketed. It's not a commodity. It's not a new, well, they've got a, we got the true love waits CD. We got the purity ring. We got the card. We're going to do this. Somewhere in the 80s and 90s, biblical purity became for many evangelicals nothing more than a sexual purity conversation with their teenagers. I'm not minimizing that, but there's so very much more. How can Timothy love well? How can you and I love well? Well, I mean we're instructed to do so, so it's not like we get to think about it and vote about it. We're told to do this. In chapter 1, verse 5, it is clear and true that true biblical love cannot exist apart from a pure heart. If you don't have a pure heart, your love is not pure. If you don't have a pure heart, your love is going to always be self-centered and about what it does for you. Purity of heart is the motive for the godly leader. And if the leader doesn't have a pure heart, the leader is not to lead. Plain and simple. Timothy, don't let them despise you because you're young. <clears throat> you can't change your age, but you can control your walk. Live above reproach, not just for the vote to get hired as the pastor, but in the daily routine to remain the pastor. Not for the glory of man, but for the glory of God and for the good of his church. To Timothy and all the future Timothys out there, the call of God is not temporal and he equips the called, but you, you'll forget it. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll forget it. You'll, you'll, hands will be laid upon you. You'll become a pastor or a leader or a deacon or a minister or some, some form of leader within the body. And you know that's it in your head. You got it right. God always equips the called, but there'll be that moment you forget that you'll despair and you'll say, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if this is worth it. It's hurting my family. It's hurting me, my mental health, my spiritual health, my physical health. Everything is just, just dissolving. So read this often and be reminded of God's good grace and his guidance. As Paul continues, 
Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Timothy's mentor is coming. Paul is saying, I'm on the way. I'll be there soon, but it won't be there for a while. So in the meantime, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Keep practicing the public reading of Scripture. That is a that is a right thing to do. That is a holdover from the synagogues. That is what was taught to the Old Testament uh, Israelites. That's what's been taught to Christians since day one, gathering together. You know, I, I, I've been in enough Baptist meetings to know that we just kind of sometimes tag an opening prayer and an ending prayer, and we call it a meeting and such. But when this is deeper than that, and I've been guilty of this in the past, so why do I read the entire scripture passage first? Because If you only hear one thing I say in a sermon, you need to hear that which is immutable and inerrant and life-changing, and that is not what comes from my head, but what comes from his word, so I read that first. Because if if, if left to my own devices, I can go 35, 40 minutes with an introduction, then add a verse at the end, and all of a sudden, that's not a sermon. That's an entertaining conversation. Keep reading the word. Keep doing this. Timothy is to be uh, devoted to this, meaning it's not up for his debate. Reading the scripture is essential for the body. In your small group, Sunday school classes begin next week. Let me just encourage you teachers, I don't know how your classes are organized or structured, but don't spend the first 45 minutes doing prayer requests and songs and talking with each other. Get to the scripture early. Because what if there's a fire drill? And you have to leave. And you've wasted all that time with everything that doesn't matter but matters, but not as much as the scripture matters. Get to the word early and then do all the other stuff. Don't minimize it. Don't presume everybody knows the story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me just pause on that one. We're almost out of time. One of years ago, an adult believer in our church got saved late in life. Here's what he told me. He said, Pastor David, do you have a class for people that are in their 60s? that didn't grow up in church, that don't know all these stories everybody else in Sunday school class just presumes we know? I said, what do you mean? He goes, they're talking Noah and a boat. They're talking some guy named Moses. They're talking about David. I don't have a clue about any of that. But there is this peer pressure in the room that everybody else went to vacation Bible school 50 years earlier. Is there a class for someone my age that doesn't know? It's really convicting when you think of that. So I'll just tell you this, never presume. Oh, you know that story about Joseph? Everybody will say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there'll be one or two that go, I really don't, but I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell the story from the scripture. Timothy is to be devoted, not up for debate. When the church gathers, the scripture must be read. He is to devote exhortation, his time to exhortation. What is that? That's the preaching of the word and to the teaching. So he says, devote time to the reading of the word, to the preaching of the word, and to the teaching of the word. And there's a difference between the preaching and the teaching. The preaching is the exhortation as is given here, and the teaching is referring to the doctrinal instruction. So that may be a little deeper dive. It's a threefold teaching, and it is of God. Timothy has a great gift. He's a wonderful communicator, apparently. It's clear as it's been written here. Every Christian has a gift. You have a gift. If you are a Christian, you have a gift. Christmas has come and gone, and you received gifts, likely. But as a Christian, you are given a spiritual gift, at least, at least one. No one has all of them. But you've been given a gift for a reason, to use it. For the kingdom. What if you 
And, and I'm not even advocating you go online and do a spiritual gift survey. You can probably just ask people that know you well. And they could tell you your spiritual gift. I have the gift of teaching. And everybody looks and says, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't. You'll make a great administrator. You can't teach, but you're gifted in other ways. Others know your giftedness because the Spirit of God has given them that discernment. You might not be able to pick your own out. So ask others you trust. And then look at your own life and go, where am I using this gift for the kingdom of God? Because if you don't use it, you will lose it. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. He says, you got a great gift, a gift of pastoral leadership, prophetic teaching. It's been given to you by the Holy Spirit, and it's been affirmed by the elders, and they laid hands upon you. And it is simply put, Timothy, use this gift for the kingdom and for the glory of God or lose it. How has God gifted you within the church? John Calvin said it this way, buried gifts become rusty and degenerate. Some hearing this sermon are being called to ministry. Some young man is being called to be a pastor. And I pray you hear and respond to do that which God has instructed through Paul's writing. Some young woman has been called to ministerial, ministerial service. It is definitely clear that God is working on you now. And it may not be, when I say young, I'm talking Timothy young, like, like 40 and under young, right? But what if it's 50 and older? or 40? Well, let's go 40 and older. I don't want to leave a decade out. Some of you are called decades ago, but you put it on the shelf and you never open the gift and you refuse the call and God is not through with you. So maybe he's calling you once more. For all of us, he is calling us to himself. To be part of the local church that is growing healthy, constructing good doctrine and faith, not constructing, but revealing good doctrine and faithful orthodoxy within the body. In the midst of a pseudo-Christian world that highlights man-made adventure Falsely believing that God certainly isn't enough, we believe God is more than enough. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. In verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save, that is ensuring salvation, not literally being saved. You will save both yourself and your hearers. The instructions to Timothy are for a pastor. But as we've discovered today, they're for every believer at some level. Be faithful in this. Hold your pastors accountable.